Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Today, I'm joined by Roger Entner, telecommunications expert and founder of Recon Analytics, to discuss how our broadband networks are handling the stress from increased usage during the coronavirus pandemic. Hey, Roger, thank you for joining me today on Explain to Shane. This is a podcast where I get the opportunity to use a lot of my smart friends' brain power to explain to me current issues that are going on. So this is very timely. As you and I discussed, we are going to talk about network usage, which is up tremendously as people are working, learning, connecting, and entertaining from their homes rather than their offices or wherever they chose to do that before COVID-19 came into our life. I appreciate you being here. Is there anything you'd like to say in an opening comments, what we're doing? Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure and an honor to talk with you and, and to be on your podcast. So I think we'll, we'd like to open the discussion on network connectivity with just, let's start myopically with looking at the states. How are our networks faring so far? Our networks are performing quite well. We are seeing that the peak usage, which is always around 9 p.m. wherever you are, is up around 30% to 35%. What we're also seeing is that the network usage is broadening much more and that the traffic pattern, usually it goes like straight up as, as the day continues. Those shoulders get broader. And so the the busy hour, while still peaking somewhere around 7 to 9 p.m., starts now at around 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Because consumer traffic is what is really driving internet traffic around the world. It's not businesses that are the heavy data users, it's consumers. And it is consumers watching video. Video is really the the application that that taxes networks the most. But things are are holding up well because networks are being built in the United States with one to one and a half years of capacity, forward capacity in in mind. And that is usually around 40 to 45% per year. So we're still way below that, where we would be like in a year from now. So everything is still performing very well. Oh, that's great news to hear. Both Roger and I just had the opportunity to be on a, a Comcast media call. And I found it fascinating when they talked about how the first cities they saw to uptick were Seattle, San Francisco, and now Chicago is coming in line with that, with the heavy use of having tech workers that are now at home. And so they saw you know, Microsoft, Google, Apple, Twitter, Facebook, you know, all the other companies that are along with that working from home. And then they kind of use that as the new balance to see as the rest of the world figured out how to video conference VPN and use the tools that you should be using to have a safe online experience. They've, they're now starting to see that go across the United States. So glad to see that we, our networks feel like they're, they sound like they're standing up and doing a good job. Yeah. And American operators are investing and have been investing by far more than operators in other countries. You know, now and then, you know, when you go to Europe, people were like saying like, why are American carriers charging more than European carriers? And the answer is that they're investing twice as much into a network. So some of the last mile problems that 
we seem to be seeing in Europe, we largely don't see it here. Some companies that are reporting, they saw a slowdown in some markets. But when you looked at it, yes, the speed was going down from like 95 megabits per second to 45 megabits per second. That's still more than what my mother gets in Germany, even though that they dropped by, by a substantial amount. But that is really the exception rather than the, than the rule. And for example, here I'm using Verizon Fires and I have a gigabit connection. I don't see anything degrading. Networks are holding up. So that brings up a, a couple of questions for me. One is that we've definitely seen that Comcast, AT&T, you know, Charter, Cox, a lot of these companies that have had the ability to do investment as they saw fit because of the flexible regulatory regime we have has really seemed to have made a difference. And I want to get into international networking, but can we take a step back and talk about the way that some of the different network configurations work so I can understand the difference between when I hear about the cable operators versus like you just mentioned Fios and then how in Europe we're still seeing a lot of DSL usage and how that is managed differently and may have a different outcome for the consumer. Yeah, so basically we have If we include wireless, we have four different access methodologies. The number one usage that we have in the United States for broadband to the home are cable networks. Cable networks have a network that's called hybrid fiber coax, which means there's a fiber network in the end, and then typically across the street, there's a pole and then comes the cable over to your house if you live in suburbia. And that's usually a coax cable. These networks, and there's somewhere a cable called a cable head. And that cable head traditionally served 300 households. And that was a shared resource there. So these 300 households shared that cable head and however much capacity that cable head had. Cable had like a huge advantage through its evolving standards called DOCSIS. So we're now at DOCSIS 3.1, which can deliver gigabit Ethernet or gigabit speeds. That is because they're able to put more data on the same amount of fiber and cable. What they've also done is reduce the number of households per cable head. And now it's about 75. So simply by dividing, having only a quarter of households per cable head, you have four times the capacity. And then you have the new standard. So you have dramatically more, you have like 10, 15 times more capacity. And that would allow the, the cable networks to really do that quite well. That's on average. So they've gone from the 300 head household cable head. So there obviously was more investment, I would imagine, to get yes. them to 75. They're coming closer into the neighborhoods to get the network connection closer. Yes, they, they are putting four times as much hardware into the neighborhoods so that they can adequately serve the increase in, in usage. And the increase in usage has been streaming video. And that has been really that huge, huge driver over the last five years, Netflix, Hulu, you name it. These streaming services, Disney Plus and all of the alike. And that has really driven this massive investment in network 
so that we can a we were able to sustain that traffic usage. Now that traffic is just spread out through in, through the day, and not just at nine o'clock in the evening when everybody wants to watch their favorite show on a streaming service. So how does that compare to you mentioned FiOS and your fiber network? Yes. So then the next most prevalent use is fiber. And here you have a dedicated pipe that goes to the central office. And there is a a huge backbone pipe going out. And there you're not sharing with anybody. That gives you a much more dedicated, much more reliable connection than than cable. Not that cable is unreliable, but here you have a, a dedicated pipe. You have a it's dedicated a lane. Ratio. Yes. Then, and then we have DSL. Right. Compare that to DSL, which seems like 180 degrees the other direction. DSL is basically monetizing the old copper network. And it's the speed that you get is highly dependent on how far you're away from a from a central office or a piece of equipment called the D-slab. It has gotten faster, but you're still stuck in the three, five, seven, ten megabits per second. In Europe, Deutsche Telekom, for example, in Germany, is heavily betting on on using vectorized DSL. So you get then speeds of 50 megabits, maybe 100, but it, it tops out. It just doesn't have the same scale that either cable or, or fiber has. Cable is certainly the right solution to go forward. They are just inching and getting the last little bit of speed out of a technology from the 1980s. I feel like that way about my 2012 computer I'm on right now. The first thing I'm going to do after the coronavirus is go buy a 2020. <laughs> or buy it online, right? You yeah, use, right. Your, use your connection. <laughs> so, And we still have you know, 10 million plus households on, on DSL. The FCC is working very hard and is funding that these connections are being replaced with faster technology. They have the, the CAF funds, Connect America Fund. I think they're right now in the second one. There's funding coming for 5G, which hopefully will then help that wirelessly. So we hopefully can use then 5G for to the connections to the home. T-Mobile is certainly banking on that to help them expand in rural America. And then we have traditional wireless local loop technologies with companies like Starry, for example. And they can get, depending on where you are, up to a gigabit as well. So it sounds like the big change was kind of going back to email traffic versus streaming. Once streaming hit, everybody just needed an, an exponential capacity. Yes. Email doesn't tax the system. Browsing websites doesn't tax the system. Gaming doesn't tax the system. Video that's does. That's interesting. Explain why gaming doesn't, because it seems like it would to me. Well, what happens is you download the game, and then all the pictures, all the graphics are on your computer. And the only thing that the game does is transmit where you are and where you're moving and all the things that are flying around trying to kill you typically. <laughs> and that is not a lot of tra- that's not a lot of data because you're playing with 10, 20, 30 other people. And it just has to tell them, you know, Shane is in coordinate X and Y and Roger is in 
the next X and Y thing, and then they can all triangulate it with the local computing. So Mm -hmm. with that, and then say you shoot me and it reports back to the server that you pulled your trigger and this is the direction it's flying. It computes if it hits me or not. And then it tells me I'm dead. (laughs) <laughs> and it tells you, you hit me. Right. So it so, isn't as heavy of a lift as it sounds, because it sounds like it would be an always-on heavy thing for it to be managing. Oh, no, not at all. So if we look at just at bit rates, at like how much data traffic does, does it take, 4K video takes about 25 megabits per second. HD video takes about 5 megabits per second. So for every 4K video stream, you can five people can watch their own dedicated HD stream. Standard television is about 1 megabit per second. So again, five times less. Or for every 4K stream, you can have 25 people watching this in standard definition like we all did in the 1990s. Video is is even less than a megabit, and audio is about 40 kilobits per second. So that's 25 times less than a standard definition video stream. So if you're a parent and your kid is gaming and your network feels slower, it's not your kid. (laughs) Okay. It uses probably less data than, than the video stream that you're watching. and all the emails, all the the other things are really a rounding error. We see it in wireless. Without video, you can't use more than two gigabytes. You're usually even less than one gigabyte. The moment video comes in, you're at eight, 10, and, and more gigabytes per month. And in a home network, you're probably using... 250, 300 gigabytes a month. That's probably the median usage. And then there are a lot of people and the people that use a lot more and the people who lose use a lot less. So from, and this is a critique that I think some people just don't understand how the networks function. And so I'm going to ask this question and hopefully clarify. There's a misunderstanding, I think, that if you are dealing with a company, let's say Comcast or AT&T that also own a content company. So in AT&T's case, it'd be Warner. And in you know Comcast, they've got NBC Universal. Does that content flow any differently because it would appear to be a native content stream than if I get onto my Comcast or AT&T or Guitar, nope. then with Netflix or Amazon, it's all streamed the same way. It's all streamed the same way. And it doesn't matter because the network has excess capacity. And prioritizing, you're all going with 100 miles an hour over the interstate. Even if you have priority, you can't go faster than 100 miles per hour. It all reaches at the same point. So what was the concern that was a big news item last week about the European Union asking Netflix and YouTube specifically to change their streaming level? Was that just because of the DSL? Can you kind of break that apart for me? Well, I think they did it out of an overly cautious. Okay. Um, out of an abundance of caution is our favorite. Out of an abundance of caution. Yes, yes. So nicely say it. Because <laughs> it's the recognition that video is whatever crashes networks. We can see the traffic patterns in Europe on the backbone side, right? A lot of backbone providers 
and internet exchange providers make that data actually available for anybody on a website. And so, for example, a company called DE-CIX, and it's DE-CIX.com as the website. When you go to locations, you can see how their internet exchange points are behaving. And so, for example, in Frankfurt, which is the world's biggest internet exchange point, traffic went up from an average of 5.8 terabits per second to about 9.1 right now. So 40% increase, which is what we see here, a lot. One of the things that you have to put this in context with is their capacity is 54.1 terabits per second. So even though traffic went up by 50%, they had less than 20% utilization. So the backbone doesn't make a difference. You can look at Madrid. Madrid, you also see a 50% increase. In, in Italy, you see 50% of increase. From a backbone perspective, there's no problem because that is already really built in. On the edge, meaning the last mile, especially when you have an, an aging or not updated network, that can create problems. If everybody's on DSL and, and watches video, if you have only 5, 10 megabits per second, you feel it if one megabit is missing. So early in our conversation where you mentioned the shoulders get broader, is that saying that, well, there's a kind of a natural thought that the office networking going to home networking would make a difference. Instead, it's sort of leveling out because just it's just a change of location, not a change in how much is being Yeah, it, it soaks up empty capacity that would go unused otherwise. You either use the capacity or it's gone. It's like an air, airline seat, right? Oh, when the plane has right. left, <laughs> it doesn't matter if anymore if the person sits in there or not. It goes the same way. And so networks are always designed around peak usage. And what happens outside peak usage doesn't matter because wireless networks are very, they're fixed, have a high fixed cost and a very low variable cost. If somebody uses then the capacity during the day, it doesn't cost more. The, the backhaul costs the same. The power is virtually the same. So you're just using the, the whole pipe a little bit more efficiently. Does the change in traffic patterns have anything to do going forward? Are the network operators, they're changing. You're saying they have a lot of headroom. Are they they're expanding headroom faster now as they're seeing these, these market changes? Well, we're only seeing these changes for the last four to six weeks, right? Right now, the increases are a little bit faster than what we have seen during the natural cause. On average, as I mentioned, 40 to 50% data increase per year. And they're building the network today for where they think it's next year. So I think the thinking is a lot of them feel validated about their very conservative approach and capital investment heavy approach to build for that increase that happens anyway. And you just needed it a little bit faster. So they were not surprised by it. Will they build a little bit more capacity, you know, this year? Probably. But typically the the approach has been validated. It's been interesting looking at the statistics I've seen from some of the companies where I think Comcast said that they were up 34% last week and they're expecting that to you know kind of continue. They're seeing a lot of difference in Wi-Fi calling and VPN mm-hmm. usage. So Wi-Fi calling, I think for AT&T was up 67% on average by Saturday. Consumer voice is up about 
people are using the tools. Absolutely. But even when you look at the Seattle Internet Exchange, traffic is up by about 40%. And that's where all of that happened. And so I would say Seattle, San Francisco, Bay Area, New York are bellwethers of what we will see in the rest of the country. Because these people are in curfew, they have to work from home. And that's about what we see as an increase. It's about 40, 50%. And so when this moves now to Chicago, we see the same increase. And when it will move to Dallas, Denver, Phoenix, and Atlanta, we will see the same pattern repeating itself. I'm looking we'll at see the, how long this continues, right? Um, Verizon usage data they have in their press release says they saw 106 million hours of streaming content, 190 billion photos uploaded and 38 billion songs downloaded. And their virtual private networks are up 52% and the collaborative tools are up 47%. So I think people are catching on. They're getting this. And we're yeah, and the VPN, by, by the way, is, is business usage. But here the gating factor is actually how many VPN ports does your company have at, at their physical location rather than the, than the network. The other thing that I thought was very interesting is that Microsoft reported a more than 700% increase in their cloud application usage. And Microsoft is the biggest provider of cloud email with Office 365. They are using that for commercial clients. And so many more things will move to the cloud now because you want to have that flexibility in companies that have been laggards. You know, this is the wake-up call that you have to make your company flexible. And then you need to go to companies like Microsoft, companies like AT&T, and get a solution that helps to become indifferent of where the worker is physically located so that you are not dependent on work in the office or work at home. And the flexibility will make the, the company actually faster. One of the things that was mentioned earlier in the call we were on earlier is about how mobile data is moving over to networks and that helps take any stress, not that there, no, there is stress, on the, the mobile networks and brings it onto Wi-Fi. They've seen that go from about 10% to 24%. I've got those numbers right. It's people staying at home. They have it connected to their Wi-Fi at home. So it's your mobile phone becomes a, a stationary phone when you're, when you're quarantined at, at home, right? So very often people are using Wi-Fi as a, as a stable connection. Some people may or may not have, have connection issues in their home, and Wi-Fi certainly alleviates it. And we still have probably a third of Americans on metered plans, and, and Wi-Fi certainly increases the mileage of your wireless data. But we are moving more and more into an unlimited LTE data world. It becomes a little bit less important. And the wireless networks are holding up, up very, very well. And we're seeing increases in the 20 to 30% range here as well. It's just people are using it a lot more than they've used it before. I also thought the data about how many more things are getting attached to the network are fascinating. We know that the Internet of Things coming in is, is pushing a lot more things online, and we're definitely seeing a lot more people attach while they're home. They're at home. They are saving half an hour, an hour every day that they're not commuting, right? And they're tinkering around with the network and with 
devices they can attach to their network. So they want to have a video at the door and install that. They want to have motion sensors and all of the other things, and they attach it to their networks. When people get idle, they get busy, right? Good point. Well, Rogers, we see that our world has changed the last couple of weeks and it's going to continue to move forward. Any, any predictions what you think will be going on with network operations we'll be seeing in the next month, next coming year? I think the patterns that we are seeing in the bellwether states, New York, California, Washington, will extend to the rest of the country. I think some of the changes that we have seen will be very difficult to roll back. I think usage caps, if it's okay not to have usage caps in an emergency, it's hard to explain customers why there should be usage caps in normal times. I think work at home will be, it will be very difficult also to explain to employees why they can't work at home when it worked after. And we all have teething problems, right? If you, if you just moved to your home office, but once all of that has been fixed, I think that will be a, a new standard. It will change traffic patterns. It will change real estate. All these things will change. I think personally, the huge office floors that we see in open office designs, there might be some rethinking going on there as well, because that's also very conducive to spreading things. And we're just going to be a lot more sensitive and, and also a lot more robust towards these challenges that come with having a, a pandemic around you that is life-threatening. Well, hopefully some of the, the positive things will continue to, to stick around. I'm, I'm very hopeful on the telemedicine front that we've realized there's a much more efficient use of everyone's time, similar to how we've learned with conference calls. Well, Ron, yeah. thank you for your time today. We look forward to having you on as a future guest as we see the trends going on, but I really appreciate you for being a guest on today's Explain to Shane. Thank you for having me.